James it is She was dispatched to Mussoorie every year to spend the summer holidays with her aunt and uncle who were childless. Leila Mummy as she called her was her mother's elder sister and Chini loved her and Sunny Papa very much. She was lucky to have two sets of parents particularly since her Mussoorie parents were only the loving giving type not into too many you shoulds and you musts. They spoiled her. Everyone knew that. and everyone accepted it chini most of all but for a delhi girl masuri offered very little by way of entertainment there was the old library of course right there on the chalk but not yet in the bustle of the 21st century you climbed up the creaking wooden stairs with the ragged coir matting and entered the ancient rooms smelling of dust and disuse the venerable old glass fronted book cabinets standing like silent sentinels along the walls the massive reading tables and the hundreds and hundreds of yellowed and dog-eared books there were discoveries to be made there no doubt for those who had the initiative to mine for them but she was also permitted to bring her own books to read there There were also the momos waiting to be eaten at the swiftly filling and emptying red formica topped tables at Kalsang where the local kids had their own cozy gangs and weren't at all friendly to city kids. There was the mall to rediscover. Had any of the older places shut down for good? Had any new place started up? It was always in flux. But that would be about the limit in terms of excitement. She had a bicycle with a wire basket in front and was always buzzing off on it to buy bread or smoked cheese or anything else that wanted doing. She pedaled to the post office and the bank and helped out in the garden and in the kitchen whenever she could. But time still hung heavy on her hands. So she always had to have a plan when she arrived or the months would pass too slowly. This time She decided on a whim as she got off the Shatabdi at Dehradun that while in Masuri she was not going to bond with Ruskin with James maybe but definitely not with Ruskin what that meant in terms of action had not yet made itself clear but it was early days she sagely advised herself she became aware of him in the beginning of week 2 when she'd gone to the store to pick up some baking powder they were going to bake a jam roly poly that afternoon jam roly polies were good not just because they were delicious but because they required a certain degree of skill she had tried making one at home in delhi and had been left with a sticky and crumbly mess but here with leela mummy beside her she could turn out a fairly decent one even if she said so herself it would be even and thin it cooled quickly in this weather she'd put in a good fruity strawberry jam and she'd pray it wouldn't crack as she rolled it up bundling it tight in butter paper and pushing her patience to the limit to leave it on a shelf in the cool larder where lela mummy insisted it sit till tea time the next day 
she noticed him at the grocery store. He was never going to get any girl to swoon with delight if girls still did that. But she noticed because surely she'd seen him there the previous day too. The lean and hungry look was unmistakable. <laughs> Perhaps Ramchandar and Brothers was his favourite hangout, she giggled. But the roly-poly needed her attention and he was soon forgotten. Until she saw him again and again. Everywhere she went, there he was, grinning, striking a pose, flicking back his hair in what he must have thought was an extremely sexy way. He was stalking her, she realized. He positioned himself where she could see him watching. He leered, he preened. She glared at him. She told him to get lost. She threatened him. But she didn't complain about him to the adults. The message he chose to receive from this, apparently, was that she had succumbed to his charms but was playing coy. And so he carried on with his posturing till she was right sick of it and of him. So, one wet afternoon, as he followed her home on the bicycle, she didn't take her regular route home. She diverted off through a lonely area and slowed down to let him catch up with her. He knew for sure now that she was leading him on. Ha! How long could any girl resist his charms? He walked up to her eagerly. She was smiling. What happened next was in such a whirl that he couldn't wrap his head around it. When he was able to think again, he found himself in a shed or something. Just a single room with towering walls and a corrugated metal roof. No windows and only the one door through which he'd presumably entered. The light was dim. Other than a heap of coir rope and an empty bucket in a corner, there seemed to be nothing in the room except himself. How she had contrived to get him off the road and into that shed, he was at a loss to say. Surely that slip of a girl couldn't have manhandled him herself. He reached instinctively for his phone. But it was missing. Either it had fallen in the scuffle or it had been deliberately removed. He felt violated and dismembered. He called for her. He shouted and raged and ranted. He kicked at the walls and banged his head against them in a demented fashion. He flung himself at the door. But it was an eminently sturdy one and didn't budge. What did get rearranged in the process was his face, which was soon ornamented with an array of cuts and bruises. He could see ventilator slats in the room at a 12 or 15 foot height, way out of reach, and his hopes of getting anywhere near them were less than slim. But he wasn't functioning rationally, and he ripped his nails ragged trying to claw his way up the walls like a jungle cat. He started to unravel as he faced the reality that there was no escape. He was alone, battered and unlamented, and the girl was gone. Mad thoughts crawled inside his head. Repeatedly and fruitlessly, he flung himself at the door and the imprisoning walls until he no longer could.
exhaustion and fear overcame him and he collapsed, dejected, on that unruly pile of rope. Without his phone, he didn't even know how long his captivity had lasted. Time seemed to telescope into the cramped space. Without warning, thunder cracked like a divine whip and he felt its stinging lash even in his small chamber. The rain beat a tattoo that echoed maddeningly inside his skull. He was physically battered from trying to escape and mentally exhausted from trying to hold on to his macho image of himself. Chini waited outside under the trees as he flung himself repeatedly against the door and finally fell to silence. She strained her ears, but there was not the least sound from within. That unnerved her. She couldn't just leave him there forever and she had to get herself home fairly soon too. She had no idea what she was to do with him. She dared not let him out. She'd not have the element of surprise anymore. He'd overpower her easily. It was only because it had been so unexpected that she'd succeeded earlier. And even then it had been touch and go. And now there was the rain to contend with too. That's when she saw the kitten. Scrawny and wet and pressing itself against the tree trunk as if it could provide it any shelter from the storm. She approached it cautiously from behind. The storm would drown out any noise she made. She scooped its bedraggled little frame and carried it off to the shed. With the pathetic scrap tucked under her arm, she bundled a convenient piece of sacking into a kind of nest and tucked the tiny shivering creature into it. As softly as she could, she unlocked the door and crept away into the shelter of the trees. Through his exhausted misery, he registered a whining coming from the door. It was a weak kind of mewling, helpless, crying sound. Faint, exhausted. It faded and resurfaced and it drew him off that pile of ropes crawling towards it. He pressed a puffy, blood-streaked eye against the staunch door, as if he might be able to see through it. He pounded on it, weakly, with powerless fists. He beat his bloodied forehead against it. His hands wafted up and down, scathing the door with his ragged nails. His whole being was centered on the pitiful mules coming through the door. He threw his throbbing shoulder once more against it and fumbled at the intransigent handle. And completely unexpectedly, it yielded. He gaped at it in utter confusion. Did he imagine it? Surely it had been locked earlier. It must have been ages before he approached that handle again. It responded to his hesitant touch and in a heartbeat he was outside and free. His bicycle was parked within sight. In a plastic bag tied to the handle he could see his phone. Life, liberty and connectivity all restored in an instant. He 
he scooped up the crying kitten and bundled it inside his shirt where it would be comforted by the warmth of his body. It had saved him from unimaginable horrors and it would be his talisman from then on. He mounted the bicycle in a loping, fluid move, patted the plastic bag with his phone lovingly and pushed off into the downpour, leaving the girl and her brutal notion of justice behind him forever. Jeannie watched stealthily through the trees as he rode away. She felt ecstatic and tried to focus on that rather than the twinges of guilt. He must have thought he was God's gift. All bond baddies did. But she'd outmaneuvered him in style, thinking on the go, using what came to hand, including that miserable kitten. Raskin would not have been proud of her. But James? Yes, James would have given her the thumbs up. She leapt onto her ersatz Aston Martin and sped off home. <laughs>